Well, good to see all of you again. We're talking about the fruits of the Spirit all throughout the summer. So that is the list, if you will, from Galatians 5.22, where the Apostle Paul is teaching this beloved church, what does it mean to actually be in community together? What are the values? What are the things we should strive toward? So uh, this is kind of Bible trivia moment. If you can remember the fruits of the Spirit, however you memorize them, say them with me. The fruits of the Spirit are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Woo! Good job. You did it. Today, we're talking about goodness, which I got to be honest, when I started looking at our sermon outlines, I thought, this is going to be the most banal thing that I could possibly talk about. Like, what does it mean to be good, a goodness sort of badge? Like, what is that? And it's actually a fundamental question that human beings have wrestled with for our entire existence. Every philosopher that has ever put the title of philosopher on himself or herself has wrestled with the question of what does it mean to be a good person? That has literally shaped the course of human history to the good and to the bad. For example, the way that good people were described under the Third Reich was not good. Most of us would not have fit into that category. Blonde hair, blue eyes. I think happily my daughter might be the only one of us that fits that category. That was a definition of a good person that was ultimately not good at all. There are ways that each society shapes the understanding of what it means to be good. Those can be as flimsy and as flexible as the day is long. And we know this, and yet we still strive for that understanding. We want to know what does it mean to be a good person? What does it mean to be a good grandparent? What does it mean to be a good employee in my company? That's what you're measured by in your HR departments. Are you doing good? Or are you doing poorly? So this question of goodness is actually fundamental to human identity. So I'm really excited to look into this with y'all. What we're going to look at is the way goodness is defined is how is the, is root. It has to do with how you root it. Where do the roots go? Okay. So the roots of goodness are how Jesus defines it today. We're going to look at that through the lens of the Old Testament, the New Testament, and then we're going to get into how that's expressed in the way we live our lives. So first, we're going to define goodness. We're going to talk about healing, and then we're going to talk about generosity. So definition of goodness, the healing story that Garrett just read for us, and then we're going to talk about generosity, okay? So first of all, the definition of being good. I know this sounds a little patronizing, but hey, we all need to kind of start with like the ground level. Here's our definitions. So if you look in Webster's Dictionary, what does it mean to be good? Webster says, to be good means you have a favorable character. You are a suitable or whole person. Good definition. Therefore, goodness is the quality of possessing those traits. In other words, you're known for being a good person. You're known for displaying your excellence or virtue. Do the athletes in the Olympics make it there because they are nice people or because they are good at what they do? They make it there because they're really good at what they do, because they spend their whole lives training and aiming at that target to be as good as they possibly can be. Now, Paul is exhorting the church in Galatians chapter 5 to take on the quality of goodness. Now, why would he want that? Why would he need to say to a group of people, you need to be good to one another? Well, take the negative. He's seen people not be good to each other. So many of the letters that Paul writes are to help churches get off of a bad page and into a good page of loving each other well and caring for one another. And the history of the church is littered 
with examples of communities that were just not good to each other. Many of you have come from settings where you long to follow Jesus, where you were hungry for that, but there were circumstances around you where you're going, this is not good. There's an unhealthy culture here. There's unhealthy leadership here. That is what I'm talking about when, it's, when I say it's important for the church to strive for this type of goodness. The Old Testament reference point that both Paul and Jesus probably had in mind is Genesis 1.31. This is the story of creation. When God appears on the scene, remember, this earth was shapeless and void. He brings order out of chaos. It's wonderful for those of us that are kind of organized people. And then it says this. God surveyed his creation and he said it was what, church? It was good. Have you ever had that experience where you've made a meal for your family, where you finished a project at work, and you just kind of stood back from it and you went, that's pretty good. Like, I think I did good here. I, I pat myself up on the back a little bit. This is good. That is how God sees you, sees me, sees all of creation. So the next time that you get up in the morning or that you're staying up late and you see a sunrise or you see a sunset and it's just gorgeous, that is that goodness of creation. That is God saying to you and me, this is good for you and you can see me in this goodness. I would like to think that a fabulous cup of coffee displays the goodness of God. Because it's rich, because it reminds me that I'm being cared for. It's warm, it's, it's tasty. A beautiful piece of artwork, a song, a sonnet that moves your heart. These are good aspects of God's creation given to human beings to remind us of Genesis 131. God saw creation and said, it is good. In the New Testament, Jesus builds on top of that definition. We talked about this last week with the rich young ruler. Remember, the rich young ruler comes to Jesus and says, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus, in kind of a smarmy way, says to him, why do you call me good? Only God is good. Jesus is faithfully pointing back to Genesis 131, to his father being one that makes things good. So what do we do with this? How do we live into this witness of goodness that comes from God that is written throughout all of creation? And what does that have to do with the story of Garrett Redfords? This story is a story of healing. Now we're making the transition to the section where we're talking about healing. I want you to picture with me the woman that is in this story, okay? She, what we know about her is that she has suffered from a chronic illness for 12 years. You don't have to raise your hand if this is true for you, but if you have people in your family who've suffered from chronic illnesses, can you relate to this? There are people in my family who have suffered from numerous chronic illnesses. And what it does is a chronic illness takes away your ability to remember what life is like without your illness. When you have a debilitating degenerative disease like Alzheimer's or dementia, there is a slow transition downward and it's painful and it's difficult. And you forget literally what life is like without your illness. That's the situation that we find this woman in. Not only does the text tell us, has she been sick because she's been bleeding for 12 years? She doesn't have a lot of vitality to her, right? Because if you've ever experienced a loss of blood or have been bleeding, you know, you don't have a lot of energy. Your body isn't working properly. She has the discouragement of suffering from a chronic illness. She's isolated in her community because in the Jewish community, to have her condition was to be ceremonially unclean. In other words, she couldn't go to temple and worship. She couldn't go to the market and buy groceries. 
She had to stay home, stay away from public. So simply by being in this situation where she encounters Jesus, she is being courageous. She is breaking all the rules, but she's tired of it. She's sick of having this condition define her life. She has no power. She has little support, but she is there to seek healing from Jesus. I want to say this to us as Eastsiders, as people who have resources, as people who have been equipped in many ways with educations, with good jobs, good degrees. Let us look to this woman's example of desperation and not forget it. When is the last time you were truly desperate for Jesus to help When have you been on your knees saying, Jesus, I can't fix this. This is too big. My kids are pushing me away. My marriage is in trouble. I hate my job. I need you. We do not often find ourselves in that situation, Eastsiders, because we like our power. We like our comfort. We like what we have earned. But I worry that it inoculates us from actually being on our knees and saying, Jesus, I really need you. I am truly lost without you. Let us not forget the power of being desperate before Jesus. That's an example this woman sets for us. Now, we're talking about goodness. Where is goodness in this text? I want to tell you all about a class that I took in seminary, which was an amazing class. It was called New Testament Theology. It blew my mind in so many different ways. But the first day I walked into that class, I looked at the professor who was teaching it, and I thought to myself, Chuck Norris is teaching my seminary class. His name's Blaine Charette. He teaches at Northwest University in Kirkland, actually. And he was uh, doing joint professorship with Fuller Seminary. So Dr. Charette looks like Chuck Norris. Red hair, kind of down to his shoulders, big scraggly beard. Every day, all of us joked that he was going to come into class and do like a roundhouse kick and open the door that way. It was amazing. Like to learn from Chuck Norris was incredible. But I will never forget this class, not because Dr. Shred looks like Chuck Norris, but I will never forget what he taught us about healing. This changed the way I thought about healing in the New Testament. Dr. Shred taught that when you read about a healing in the New Testament, this instance of healing, which is embedded in a larger story of raising a girl from the dead, it is a conflict between two kingdoms, the kingdom of God and the kingdom of death. The healing that happens here is God's victory over death. This woman that we've been reading about has been trapped in, has been imprisoned by the kingdom of death, where she has been suffering. She's been worried every single day about whether she's going to make it. The chronic illness is beating her down. That is a prison that she has lived in. And we all have either experienced that or we love people who have. And what Dr. Shrepp pointed out is when Jesus comes on the scene, the kingdom of death doesn't win. The kingdom of death doesn't win because Jesus' resurrection power, which flows out of him and into this woman and rescues her, is victorious over the kingdom of death. It wins. It beats it back. So whatever you are carrying inside of you this morning, whatever you are worried about, whether it is your children, whether it's your job, whether it's your future, whatever it may be, Know this, that when you ask Jesus to intervene, Jesus, bring your resurrection power into this broken relationship. Bring it into this part of my body where I'm just not healthy. Bring it into my son's life, my daughter's life. He will answer. And he will have victory over death. Somebody say amen. Come on, this is good news, church. Amen. Come on. This is so good. 
that the kingdom of life triumphs over the kingdom of death. And what we need to know about goodness in the kingdom is this. Jesus's goodness always reveals his kingdom. The goodness of Jesus always reveals the kingdom of Jesus. Remember, the kingdom of Jesus, the kingdom of God, Jesus talked about all throughout his ministry. And it is where God's rule and reign are evident, where God being in charge is clear. So when someone is sick, that's the kingdom of death. But when there is healing, that is the kingdom of God, the kingdom of life, of restoration, of wholeness. So how do we make this practical? And then we'll transition to our breakout rooms. We make this practical by considering a definition of goodness that the scripture actually leads to. Some of you might have memorized the fruits of the spirit, not as the word goodness, but as the word generosity. This Greek word, agathosune, can be translated as generosity as well. The Apostle Paul only uses it four times in his letters. Those are the only four times it's used in the New Testament. And in some of those situations, it can be used as the term generosity. So when we talk about generosity in the church, of course, we all think about tithes and offerings, making sure we're giving regularly, which is great. And that's very much a part of the definition. But what I want to challenge us on today is something that Megan hinted on a moment ago. And that's the call to be generous with our time, to be generous with how we see the life that God has given to us, which is important to give and important to give your resources to help support the ministry of the church. And I'm so thankful for that for sure. But I want to offer this idea around generosity, that when you are generous with your time, as I know, looking out at you, so many of you are, and so many of you online, you understand this too. Generosity with your time fills you with joy because you experience God's kingdom. You experience mentoring and teaching our tweet. You experience leading people in worship. You experience making coffee, which blesses people and brings them joy. When we serve as a church, we are helping to build God's kingdom here. And other people can benefit from it. I, I stood back at one point during Wacky Wednesdays, and I watched kids running around on the ball field, chasing each other with cool noodles. This isn't in my notes, but I should grab my notes. <clears throat> and it was a wonderful moment where I just felt like, you know, heaven will be like this. Heaven will be like people running around and just being filled with joy. Heaven will be unfettered freedom. Heaven will be a beautiful moment like this. Guys, we can do that. So as you think about your fall, as you think about the commitments that you are making, signing your kids up for things, taking trips, Although we all have to hold this loosely, right? Because this stage of the pandemic is teaching us once again, we got to be ready to pivot. we got to be ready to change. I want y'all to know that as a church, there will be opportunities for us to minister to whatever it looks like. But I want you to be thinking about ways that you can stand up, that you can say, you know what? I really care about making this go well. I care about kids learning about Jesus. I care about seeing people wrapped up in worship in a powerful way. I talked to a friend who served with me the other morning, setting up chairs out here just like this. And I said, hey, you know, thanks for coming early. Thanks for setting up canopies and all this stuff that we do. And he said, you know what? After a year of being at home, it feels really good to do something. It feels really good to do something. And I look at all of you and I see so many of you that already serve so faithfully and just hear me say thank you. And let me encourage you to encourage others to say, you know what's fun? is teaching kids in Sunday school. We're going to be outside. It's going to be safe. We're going to take care of people. It's awesome. You know what's fun? It's making coffee for people before they come to church. And then their eyes light up when they see the you. 
you know what's fun? And we can just go on and on. But I want y'all to know that being generous with your resources is so vital and so important. And I want to say thank you. And the staff says thank you. But I also want to say that giving up our most precious resource of time is even more beneficial to the church and it's better for you. It's better for us. So I invite you to consider that as we consider our fall, as we start praying about what we need to be doing together in ministry. Now, we need some time for discussion. So in a moment, I'm going to invite our online folks uh, to get into breakout rooms, and Michelle will be hosting that. And then here uh, together in person, I'll invite you to turn your chairs and just talk together. Uh, no more uh, than six people in a group, and if you need to move around and help kids and all that, that's fine too. But there's two discussion questions in your bulletin about the subject of goodness. Uh, and if you don't have a bulletin, it was emailed to you earlier in the week. So get into your groups and you can share your name and just one joy from this past week, just something that made you smile or one challenge that you're facing right now, one joy or one challenge. And then the second question is share an example of generosity from your life, particularly a person, you know, brag on somebody. It doesn't have to be someone who's here, but just brag on someone, you know, who's really generous. Maybe they're generous with their resources and they help fund things that nobody knows about. Or maybe they're generous with their time and they invested in you and they mentor you. Think of different ways that you can experience generosity and share a story of someone being generous in your life with your breakout. I'll gather us back together again in about 16 minutes. Let me pray first. Jesus, we thank you for the chance to talk and to be in fellowship together. We pray that you bless the time that we have in breakout rooms. Thank you for this cool breeze. Thank you for this beautiful morning again. Thank you that you looked out at creation and you said, this is good. And you look at your people gathered together and you say, this is really good. Bless the time that we now have to talk both in person and online. And may we grow together. We ask in Jesus' name.